This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, welcome everybody. How you doing? It's good to be with you. My name is Kevin. I'm the lead pastor here at Vortex, and today we're kind of kicking off a new series. It's called Miracles, and I really believe that over the next several weeks as we uh, kind of investigate in our hearts what miracles are, what miracle power God has for us, I really believe that God's got some big things for us. But I just want to remind you of something, that it's so easy to just look over and that's that you, you're not here this morning on accident. You're here because God wants you here. God has something for you. And you're here today because God loves you. I mean, God has started something in our hearts that, that is today actually visible. Uh, uh, just a few years ago, it was invisible. And my, my family literally went broke to... Start a church because we believed people like you deserved a place like this to come and to be loved. And uh, we love you. We believe that God has good things for you. And some of you might be in a situation or in a season right now that just kind of causes you to question whether God is good and whether the plans of God are good. But I want you to know that he does. He's got good things for you. And today as we begin this uh, kind of reminded of a moment. I was a senior in high school. I graduated in 1996 from South Stanley High School, not too far down the road uh, in the southern part of our county. And that year, uh, when I gave my life to Jesus, uh, a few months prior to that, uh, we had a school assembly. And a, a guy came and spoke. His name was Reggie Dabbs. And it was powerful. It was one of those moments when, uh, man, it, it just it just forever kind of changed the trajectory of my life. And this week, we get to host Reggie as a church. Because of your generosity, we've been able to bring him in. He's literally speaking at every high school in our county in one day on Tuesday. And then Tuesday night, we're going to open him up at 6 p.m. at Albemarle High School at their auditorium for everybody to come and hear Reggie. He's one of the best speakers in the country. He spoke at all kinds of major conferences. But if you're here, I promise you, you don't want to miss it. But there's a lot of high school kids that are just like me that need that moment. So I want to ask you this question. Will you pray with us? over the next couple of days. Will you pray with us? Will you pray that those kids that are hurting and lost and broken, those kids who are doubting and struggling, those kids who have lost moms and dads, those kids who have parents who are battling cancer, those kids who have mom and dad who are in jail, those kids who need hope, that they'll find hope in that almost our assembly that we were able to serve and put in front of them. Would you just pray? As a matter of fact, can we just stop and pray together? Would y'all pray with me right now? Let's do that. God, 
on Tuesday, you know what you have in store for, for us and for this county. And, and we just want to pray. God, we want to pray that, that hope is unleashed in this county in a way that it never has been before. God, we want to pray for students that are struggling, that are thinking about quitting, that are thinking about giving up, that are thinking about walking away, that are thinking about all of those kinds of things. God, we, we just pray that they come into that moment and they come face to face with hope. And I, I pray, God, that they even come back at 6 p.m. to hear Reggie talk about Jesus. And God, let us be the kind of church that invites those that we know that are hurting and broken that need some hope to come with us at 6 p.m. to hear him too. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, as we get started in this series on miracles, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever become so familiar with something that you couldn't see everything you needed to perceive about it? Have you ever become so so familiar with something that, that you couldn't see everything. You, could, you couldn't even see it. When we moved into our house four years ago, we decided to put up crown molding, and we went around, and I had to caulk the crown molding. And as I was doing that, it needed to be touched up and repainted. Can I just tell you, it has not been touched up and repainted in four years, okay? And if you come in my house, I don't even notice it anymore. I don't, it's just there. I don't know. So if you come over, just forgive me for not doing the touch-up painting that was supposed to happen four years ago, okay? Sometimes that happens in our lives. Some of you have spouses that are amazing. They're amazing people, and all of your friends tell you how amazing they are, and all you can think of is the annoying things they do to get on your nerves. Some of you have some kids, and you love them, you think they're going to be the next president of the United States. The best thing that ever happened to the world was that kid being born, but your, your friends tell you, hey, you know what, he, he's, he's really got about it few behavior problems we need to work on. And the teacher says, hey, he's really tough to, to have in class. But you keep saying, no, he's really, he's a great kid. You just don't know him like I know him. Sometimes we become so familiar that we can't see everything that we need to see. I thought I'd have a little fun with you. A lot of times companies, when they're designing logos, they, they hide things in their logos to kind of point to some either core values or maybe the purpose of the company. And It's often things that we miss. And I, I thought I'd show you a few of those and see if you've caught these before. Look at this. This is FedEx right here. Have you ever noticed there's an arrow in FedEx? It's pointing forward, which really is kind of funny because if you look at their trucks on one side, it's pointing backwards, but, but it's pointing forward. Um, design, you know, they're moving forward. They're taking your stuff forward. Here's the next one. Look at this, Baskin-Robbins. How many flavors of ice cream they have? 31. You see the 31 up there and the B and R right there? All right. The next one, LG. Now, a lot of, a lot of, I heard someone say in the first service, I didn't even know that was supposed to be a face. Um, but it's supposed to be a smiley face over here using the letters L and G. That's, that's their logo. Now, these, these get a little bit more fun. Look at this, Hershey Kisses. Or no, Pinterest. How many of y'all like Pinterest? How many guys like Pinterest? We got one guy in the very back who's proud enough. Have you ever noticed that the logo for Pinterest is a sewing pin with thread? 
You ever noticed that before? Pinterest. Hershey Kisses. Look at this. This one's hard. This is, one, this is my favorite one. You can't, it's really hard to figure this one out. In between the K and the I, there is a Hershey Kiss sideways. Goodwill. Goodwill. We often, how many of y'all love to find something good at Goodwill for cheap? Right? All right. Goodwill. Smiley Face is their logo, obviously, to do good. But have you ever noticed that the G in Goodwill is a smiley face as well? And the last one is Wendy's. Wendy's has not changed their logo since they started. And when they started, one of their first slogans was Wendy's, like a home-cooked meal. You may never have noticed this, but if you look at Wendy's collar up there, the word mom is spelled. Sometimes we're so familiar with something that we don't see everything that we need to see. Is it possible that the message of Jesus has become so familiar that we've missed the power that lies inside of it? Is it possible? Is it possible for you today? Let's face it, we live in the South. Everybody is a is a Christian, right? We know they're not, but everybody tells you that they're a Christian. And everybody's going to heaven because granddaddy was a, a Baptist pastor. And if granddaddy was a Baptist pastor, apparently, I guess you get a free pass. All right? Is it possible that we've become so familiar with this message that has changed lives and cities and cultures that has transformed the world that we live in to the point that Newsweek just a few years ago said that it is without a doubt that Jesus Christ is the most transformative figure in the history of the world. Is it possible that we've become so familiar with the message of Jesus, that we've missed the power that lies inside of it. I think it is. And I think that some of us might be in that boat today. I, I want to ask you to kind of examine a few things that kind of are, would indicate that we've become too familiar. The first sign that we've become too familiar with this message is this, that we don't celebrate our victories anymore. Some of y'all can remember back when you first started following Jesus and you, you started praying, God, we don't have enough money to pay the bills and God provided a way for there to be enough money to pay the bills and you celebrated and you, you posted on Facebook and you called your friends and you called everybody and you celebrated. But today you pray and you pray and you pray and God answers the prayers and what do you do? You move on to the next thing you need to pray about. You don't celebrate those victories, not even the small victories anymore. It's almost as if we started to expect it. Oh, you, you're supposed to do that, right? Which I kind of think lends itself to this, which is the second sign that we've become too familiar, that we start to expect more of God than what he's promised. Oh, we do this a lot. We do especially in intimate relationships. 
If you're married in here, I promise you've done this before. You ever expected something out of your spouse that's totally impossible for them to deliver on? Right? We've all done it. We've all done it. See, some of us come to Jesus and God starts to move and all of a sudden, we, we, we don't really embrace the message of Jesus. We embrace a context of that message and we start to get upset. God, why is my life not comfortable? If I, if I follow you, it's supposed to be the best way. Well, God never promised that you were going to be comfortable. God, I started making these moves to follow you, and my life is starting to become the life that, that you say. I'm starting to take these steps of obedience. God, why am I experiencing resistance? This is supposed to be easy. No, it's not. God never promised that. And sometimes we expect something of God that he never promised. And that's a sign that we've become so familiar with the message of Jesus that we don't really know the message of Jesus. And lastly, that we've lost our joy and thankfulness for all that God has done. Let's just be honest with each other today. If God never did anything else, we have plenty to praise him for for the rest of our lives. If he never showed up, he never answered another prayer, we've got plenty of material in our past to fuel our thanksgiving going in the future. And some of us are just going, it's just hard. It's just tough. I'm just not happy right now. Why? Well, maybe you became too familiar with the message. Look at this little passage out of 1 Corinthians 11. The Apostle Paul, who's writing the Corinthian church, is giving them instructions in the Lord's Supper. If you remember Jesus, before he was betrayed, uh, took bread and wine and celebrated this meal, and then it was to represent the body and the, the blood of Christ. Look at how he gives these instructions. What you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. I just want to stop there and point this out. He's not saying this is something that you have a checklist and you need to check this off. No, this is meaningful. This is purposeful. God wants to do something through this to point you to Jesus. It's the same way for this gathering. This isn't just a checkbox. Each week, God wants to do something in your life, in your heart, each week. He's saying, I, I want you to guard against this. I want you to guard against becoming familiar. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. But you must never let familiarity breed contempt. Now, here's the thing about it. When we think about familiarity, most of us think that the liability associated with that is that things would start to lose their purpose. Maybe they wouldn't be as meaningful anymore. Maybe, maybe they wouldn't be as fun or enjoyable anymore. Maybe I wouldn't find the same level of satisfaction that I once found. But Paul says, no, 
I want you to see this. If left unchecked, familiarity will turn our hearts away from God. If left unchecked, familiarity will turn our hearts away from God. It happens all the time in marriages. Where we think that we know. Husbands, let's just be honest. You don't ever know your wife fully. Because she's a different woman today than she was yesterday. She's going to be a different woman tomorrow. It's hard to figure her out. You know that. But sometimes in our hearts we'll go, I know you. I know who you are. I know how you act and what you do and the way that you're going to react. I've got you figured out. And when we start to think, you know, I've got this figured out. I've got you figured out. What starts, what stops happening is the pursuit of intimacy. The pursuit of still knowing. The pursuit of still discovering. And when intimacy becomes a side shelf item in any relationship, it is doomed to fail. And what will happen is as intimacy erodes, what you will begin to focus on is not the things that you first love, but the things that annoy you in your current context. See, Paul is saying, listen, familiarity isn't just going to lose the meaning in your relationship with God. If you allow familiarity to enter, it will turn your heart away from him. So what is this message of Jesus? There is a lot of confusion, and there is a lot of confusion, especially culturally because we live in the South where everybody thinks that they've got this on lock and they understand it all. Let's talk about what it is for a moment. The message of Jesus begins long before his appearance in Bethlehem. Jesus lived for eternity, something that we can't even imagine, together with the Father and the Holy Spirit. That along with the Father, he created everything that we know that is in existence under the creative power of the Holy Spirit. And then he created humanity, me and you. And the Bible says that he made us different. Genesis 1.37 says, In the image of God he created them, male and female, he created them in the image of God. You were made to look like Jesus. I love how C.S. Lewis put it. He said, In the heart of every man, there is a God-shaped hole. We were created to live in the image of God. But too many of us have tried to fill that hole with other things, and they're good things. Some of them have been family. Some of them, we've tried to fill it with success. Some of us have tried to fill it with money. Originally, it was Adam and Eve in the garden. Don't eat that fruit, and they tried to fill the hole with that fruit. Didn't work. Sin entered the world. Tried to do it their own way. And sin brought death and brokenness 
And I think it's easy to look at that story and say, well, that must have caught God off guard, but it didn't. He knew it was going to happen way before it ever even happened. That's why the Bible describes Jesus as the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world were ever laid. Before creation was ever ensued, the plan of God was already in place. Son, I'm going to need to send you. Because the only way that sin can be overcome is with a perfect sacrifice. And so I need you to become one of them. To live and breathe like one of them. And to live that perfect life. And then one day, you're going to become the sacrifice that makes all of this right. So he was born into humanity. Born as an infant in the frail trappings of a baby. Where he grew. And he grew up in a, in a town a lot like us. Where he had neighbors. People down the street. Like, that Jesus kid is weird. That kid is weird. Have you ever noticed how weird that kid is? I'm sure that there were those conversations. You know, his mom was pregnant with him before they got married. <laughs> right? And he didn't start his public ministry until he was 30. Until he was 30. Now, around our day and age, 30 feels pretty good. All right, let's just be honest. I'm 41, so I'm going to say 40 feels pretty good too, okay? But in in those days, the average life expectancy of a male in the Roman Empire was 55. Jesus was two thirds of the way through his life when he began his ministry. And in three years, three years, he turned this world upside down. And because of that, he was tried on false charges. He was convicted under false pretenses, and he was sentenced to an execution, not simply by a trial by jury, but by a crowd of his peers. In a time when execution was the most painful that it's ever been in all of human history, if he was executed today, he would simply get a shot that would put him to sleep, and then he would pass away, but not in those days. He was nailed to a cross. His bones were broken. He would have bled internally, and for six hours on a Friday afternoon, he hung there with the weight of your sin and my sin on his shoulders, shoulders that knew no sin, took on our sin, And over that afternoon, his lungs would fill with blood and he would struggle to breathe. And finally, he would one last gasp and it was over with. And his body was taken down and put into a tomb. His friends left him. Some of them denied him within sight of him while he was on the cross. And three days later, The ladies 
that followed him went to follow up, prepare his body. How many of y'all are thankful for the ladies who followed up, right? How many of y'all know women won't forget, (laughs) right? They showed up, and that tomb was open. Jesus appeared to them and then to the disciples and then to many, many people, so much so that when the claim was made that he had resurrected, nobody in the first century ever pushed back against the idea. Why? Because it was so well known. And then he ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to be our living, breathing guide today. If as we walk through that over the last few moments, there was something inside of you that said, you know, know, I've heard this before. Can we get on to the kind of teaching points, the practical part of this message? If there was something inside of you that said, sounds familiar. Something that wasn't moved. Something that wasn't gripped. Maybe you've become too familiar with that story. Because I have no way of encountering that without realizing that God is something in Jesus Christ that is amazing. I love the way that John puts it in 1 John This is why the Bible is so important to us. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes, touched him with our own hands. He was the word of life. This one who his life itself was revealed to us. Now, I've hung out with a lot of people before, but I have never hung out with anybody that I would say was life itself. But this is his best friend writing about him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. Look at this. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that that you may have fellowship with us. This is the purpose of this. So that we can now all have a relationship that wraps around Jesus itself. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Because when we finally do embrace the message of Jesus, when we finally allow God to take the authority in our lives, that he is, there is a joy that comes with not having to be in control. And he's saying, I want you to share in this joy. But there were a lot, even in his day and age, a lot of people who didn't share in his joy. There's this very specific moment when Jesus goes home. And as we kind of zero in on what it takes to experience a miracle, I want you to pay attention to this passage of Scripture. And I want you to think about these three things. Miracles. The message, 
and the Messiah. I want you to see how these play out in this passage. It's Mark 6, beginning in verse 1. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. So the people are gathered. This is Jesus' pattern. He would go into a town. He would go to a synagogue. He would teach, and he would explain, explain how all these scriptures were pointing to this. this. This is now all of this stuff that you've heard before. This is fulfilled in me in your hearing today. This was his pattern of, of ministry. So he does this, and check out what the people in his hometown said. Bought us some good preaching. They were amazed. But watch what happens next. Then they asked, where did he get all this wisdom and power to perform miracles? And they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. You want to kind of put that in our language? What makes you so special, Jesus? You're the same weird kid that grew up right down the street from me. You're the same guy that I saw eating your boogers when you were five years old. I don't know if Jesus ate his boogers. I'm just making that up, okay? It's creative license. That's what they're saying. What makes you special? What makes you special? How, how can you teach this way? What makes you so much more special than me? Notice where it's going. Then look at this. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. It started with them being, that's some good preaching. All of a sudden, they're offended. Why? Because they were too familiar. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And pay attention to this. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hand on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. If there's something I want God to be amazed within me, I want him to be amazed at my belief in him, not at my unbelief. I see something in there that when we become too familiar with the message, we can miss the Messiah and lose our miracle. Jesus was there to work miracles. He was there to perform a miracle. He was there to meet the needs of the people supernaturally, but because the people were not willing to honor him, he was not able to perform the miracles they needed. Because they didn't believe. So what I want to do is in our last few moments, I want to help you in your heart Get your heart ready to receive a miracle from God. And this is probably going to be a little bit different than you've ever heard it, but I want you to get this because this is so very, very important. Number one, 
we must learn to honor the message and the messenger. We must learn to honor the message and the messenger. Notice, Jesus says, hey, here's the issue. I'm honored everywhere else. Everywhere else I go, I'm not asking, I'm not demanding your honor. It's a choice that you have to make. But because of your unbelief, I can't do any miracles here. You made the choice. See, the, the word that's used, because of their unbelief, the Greek word does, doesn't mean that he didn't have the power. It meant that because of them, they had positioned themselves outside of his power. They couldn't receive what he had to give them. And sometimes it is really easy to dismiss what God wants to do in your life because God speaks to you through imperfect people. But I want you to see this today. God uses imperfect people to deliver his perfect message. God uses imperfect people to deliver his perfect message. Some of y'all are out there thinking, if I could only get so close to fill in the blank. If I get close to them, I know that I could learn and I'd grow and I'd be this and I, this part of my life could get solved. And my, can I just be honest? There's no person that you could get close to that as you get close to them, you wouldn't see their weaknesses. That's what happens in intimacy. Sometimes it's just what you choose to see. And the people in Nazareth chose to see a five-year-old boy who picks his nose <laughs> instead of the miracle-working power of God that came through the Messiah. Because they were so familiar. Number two, let's explain what honor is. Honor is a willful act of submission under the authority God has installed in your life. It's on purpose. It's a choice. God, I know that you put this boss in my life. I know that, that there's my, my, my spouse. There's a, I realize that, that even pastorally, that the leadership of the church, that they are there, and I'm going to willfully submit to them and make it easy for them to lead me. I'm not going to push against it. I'm not going to lean against it. I'm going to receive correction. I'm going to receive advice. I'm going to go. God, I'm going to honor the authority that is placed of willfully submitting to the authority that you've placed in my life. Look at this, Romans 13. Everyone, uh, it's an everyone statement, okay? So that means there's no exclusions. It's not, you, you are not the asterisk that is right next to this that gives you the exclusion to be out of this. Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Some of y'all are going, but my boss is so corrupt and so difficult and so hard. Well, you know what? You never learn how to give grace until you have to give grace. And sometimes God puts you in a position where you're under authority that's going to require you to give grace so you can see the cost that is associated with giving grace. Pay attention to how he ends this. So anyone who rebels against authority 
is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. When we decide to step outside of the authority that God has placed over us, I just want you to know the rain's coming, the storms are coming. Whenever you decide to step outside of that authority, it's coming. It's on its way. But I want you to see this, that honor, the choice to honor, honor positions you to receive a miracle from God. It positions you. It is the thing that in our hearts puts us in the right place to stand before God and to receive what God has planned and wants to do in our hearts. And so many of us have pushed against the leadership of God, have pushed against the things of God, have made the people around it very difficult for them to lead us. Instead of honoring them and just saying, hey, you got me. And I've got your back wherever, however, whenever we're going to charge, I'm with you. Willfully, on my own accord. I'm going to think the best of you. I'm not going to look for the worst of you. When we choose to do that, it positions us in our life. To receive a miracle from God. Notice Nazareth again. Because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles. Because they were not willing to honor him the way that he had been honored in other places. The way that when he walked into other rooms that they believed in him so much, they were expecting so much that the miracle came in that context. Honor is what positions us in our hearts to receive a miracle from God. But did you notice in Romans 13 that dishonoring actually positions you for punishment? When you dishonor the authorities that are over you, what happens is you position yourself in your life for punishment. Which is why, and I've taught this before, we did a great series called Umbrella on this a few years ago. I call this the umbrella principle of life. That we must get under what God has put over us so that we can get over what God has put under us. I want you to understand today, fear, worry, and insecurity, God has put under you. Some of you are struggling financially. I want you to understand that God has said he will provide all your needs according to his riches and glory. God has put that under you. Some of you are dealing with relationship difficulties where there's things that need to be forgiven because there's been things that trust that's been broken. I want you to understand that Jesus has paid the price for forgiveness and grace to live in your relationship. God has designed it for that to be under you, but it can't get under you if you're not willing to get under the things that God has put over you.
Because they are the umbrellas that keep you safe in the storm. Whether you see it or not, it positions you for a miracle. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.